Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. I'm super excited to introduce to you today a new, new friend in my life. Her name is Suzanne Brown. Many of you know her already because she's a dynamo across social as the CEO of Mom Powerment. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, I am so excited to have you here today. And folks, I was telling Suzanne before we hit record that I had been on a call with someone um, overseas when I had to jump off the call because of this podcast. And when I mentioned who I was podcasting, the person I was speaking with had recognized her name. So that's quite a broad um, audience you have and following you have, Suzanne. I'm super excited to share you with my network. You know, that is, that like truly warms my heart because I, I try to connect with people all over the place. So and you thank do. You, thank it's, you. it's hard to do through social, but you accomplish that. You, you do. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I, um, I, I, I say I grew up in the marketing industry. So I have another business that's called OKCZ Strategy. And um, I mainly was in the marketing agency world, which is a pretty cutthroat, not very um, uh, work-life balance friendly kind of industry. And um, I was in New York. I'd had some time in Miami and in Chicago. And I came back to Texas because I grew up here. And I said, I'm never going to work in this industry again. Um, which, by the way, are famous last words for anyone. Right. <laughs> everyone. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I did eventually go back to a marketing agency after grad school. So I came back here for grad school to get my MBA. And I ended up at an agency that was pretty balance friendly, which is, I, I totally understand that that's a unique thing. And after having worked full time for about five and a half years at this agency, um, we had our first child. So our older son was born, but he was born 10 weeks premature. And so my life changed and your life generally changes when you become a mom, but my life changed pretty dramatically. And I had no idea what to expect after maternity leave and after leaving the neonatal ICU. And so I negotiated with my manager, who's the head of finance, to work full time, literally cut my time in half. And I mean, who knew what that was going to become, but it eventually became a second business. And um, I, I didn't realize that that change was going to create a whole new opportunity. And so I am a mom to two young boys. I'm fortunate enough to have a, a pretty supportive um, spouse, a pretty supportive husband. And so life is really interesting as, you know, balancing two businesses and two very unrelated businesses, I might add, um, and making things happen and still getting to be the mom I want to be. Well, I think it's amazing. Well, first of all, women do amazing things. Not easily. It's never easy. We just make it look that way. And we're not lucky. We work very hard to make things happen. But I want to know more about both businesses. So if you can make it clear to us, I know they're different. Let's talk a little bit about mom empowerment first and then 
uh, we'll talk about your other business. So Mompowerment is a business where I help working moms, professional working moms more than anything, and companies think differently about balance and then actually take action. So that's through my books, that's through one-on-one -on -one sessions or strategy sessions with the individuals or with the company. And so the idea is to help whether you're an individual or a company or whether you're maybe you're a leader within the company, think differently about what balance looks like. So that might be part-time opportunities for your team, that might be actually transitioning to a part-time role. All of us are challenged right now with remote work and what does that really look like? So that's something I've been working on and, and, and giving advice on and, and doing research on for years at this point. I started doing all of the research for this in 2013. And it is a, a, it's a different approach because the whole point is that flexibility is incredibly important, but a lot of times people don't know what to do with that. Okay, great. Yeah. So we need, I need flexibility. What does that look like? Or my, my team is asking me for more flexibility. Okay, now what? Yeah, what so, does that even mean sometimes, you know? Yeah. So it's not just about the theory behind it. It's about actually taking action. And in order for me to learn about that, because that was not my area of expertise initially, I interviewed more than 110 working mothers to understand what does success look like? How are you able to be successful in your role as a working mother? And so not the, it's not my voice only. I actually am able to tap into the advice and the insights and the tips and all of those things from these other working mothers as well. So I wouldn't have a mom empowerment brand without those other moms. Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, I think it lends more credibility. You know, I, I didn't want anyone to pick up my first book and say, well, yeah, if I worked in Austin, Texas in the marketing industry, I also would be able to have a more balanced life. Like I didn't want somebody to say that. And so when Sorry. I went and I, I looked for women to talk to, I talked to women in financial services and in energy, um, others in marketing and, you know, really big companies, solopreneurs, a mix, you know, a mix of all of those things, East Coast, West Coast, in Chicago, like the whole point was not to have only one kind of voice. The, the consistency is that these are professional working mothers, right? So, so these are women who are engineers and lawyers and doctors and CFOs of, I interviewed a CFO of a hedge fund, like that is their commonality. But I didn't want it to be, well, this is the guide for, for lawyers if right. they want to find more balance in their lives, right? Like, I'm sure that, that I could do a much shorter book with that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was, no, because, you know, I would have to, I, I didn't only, I, I interviewed like two or three lawyers. So it, it would be a much, much smaller version if I only took their advice, right? So the idea was to, to find what, what all of these working mothers had in common. That was the whole point. And to be able to say, okay, well, if you're looking for X, this is how these different women handled X. So it's so your not- common, Your common thread was professional services, women first, professional yes. services second, moms third. So juggling that, that life. I, I call it work-life integration if you do it, whatever well looks like. <laughs> um, yeah, so I love that. I think that appeals to every working mom who, you know, 
I used to say half of me is a career woman, the other half is a mom. And I would get, you know, shut down sometimes because people were like, how can you say that? You, sh you know, you should be committed to your child. And I'm like, um, I've raised a fine son. He's now 18. But part of that came from a place of being also a career woman. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think especially in the U.S., we think that for you to raise the right kinds of kids, that you should stay home. And they have done research that actually shows that women who have working mothers um, have, are more likely to have a supervisor, are more likely to work, have a supervisory role, and get paid more money. Yeah. Okay. So that's on the girl side. And then boys who have working mothers are more likely to be engaged in their families and in household duties yes. when they get married and they have families. So, you know, and I don't think that that gets enough, we'll call it press, like it just doesn't get yeah. enough attention. But I think that as a working mother, you become a really good example. And that could be that you work 10 hours a week from your home, or that could be that you had like a full-time, you know, 50 hour a week job. It, it didn't really differentiate between the number of hours or what industry you worked in. You know, that was just across the world. That so falls into the, how, how do you define flexibility? How do you define success? I, I love that. It doesn't have to be exactly the same for every person. So true. So true. This is really important work. I, I would like to, um, you know that I read a blog about my guests. I would like to promote your book in my blog and, and put a link to, to Amazon to buy your book. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you might think so, but yeah, it sounds amazing. And I love that it's not one woman's opinion. It's actually based on research that you did across the country. You know, I have to tell you with every interview I did, I got a new nugget. Nice. Every single one. And I will actually say one of the most dramatic was probably with one of the last interviews that I did um, that it was actually for the second book, not for the first. And when I um, decided to write the second book, I went to my husband and I said, here's the deal. I want to write a second book. It's the right thing to do professionally. And I need you to take on more. And, and I gave him uh, some, some options of the things that I was willing to hand off to him and that I thought that he would be okay with. And he got to choose. And he chose cooking and thank wow. god my my husband is a very he's, he's very good in the kitchen so so that was that's why i was okay with handing that off very nice um, but when i handed it off initially i still did the meal plan i still did the grocery shopping or, or wrote out the list and ordered the stuff on on like instacart or whatever and then i did the meal prep um, and i normally did that on the weekend and then literally he would swoop in um, a few times a week, because we generally cook for two days for yeah. every time we cook. Smart. He would swoop in like three times a week and he would spend like 15 to 20 minutes and he was like a hero, right? And he, <laughs> um, he, he saved me like about an hour a week. And I had a, an interview with, um, with a woman who I had known her husband for years and she was talking about the mental load. And I had such a huge aha moment during that interview because I realized I had done nothing with the mental load 
when I handed off cooking to my husband. I literally, I was so excited to have an extra hour a week, not a day, a week. And I, um, and at that moment, I literally like hung up with that, that interview and I went to my husband. I was like, it's yours. You now, you must provide sustenance for our family. It is now like, <laughs> I, I completely hand this over to you. And so I, I, you know, I kid when I say I learned something from every interview, but I really did. And some of them were monumentally huge in how I change things in our household, the relationship with my husband, like well, so, I mean, now, so actually, much. something about that. So um, the big question is, the drum roll question is, what did he say <laughs> when you said this is all you? So I think originally he probably thought, what's the big deal? Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't think he really understood. What does it truly take in order for <laughs> you to do all the stuff that's cooking related? Um, and so he has done it. Now, don't get me wrong. It looks very different than when I did it. Yeah. Very different. Like, we don't cook the same meals, which sometimes upsets our children dramatically. Um, <laughs> But I, there are times when I provide input, like, wow, babe, that was so spicy. There's no way our children can eat that ever again. Like you got to <laughs> tone that back. Um, you got you to pull that back. That's, that's a little too much. But for the most part, I have let him do his thing. And so his meal planning looks different than mine. And so I, I have to be able to release that mental load. Yes. Right. Like, like I can't micromanage. Right. But. I let, I don't crimp his, his style. Like he gets to do it the way he wants to do it. And unless there are things that are really off, like I said, like the spiciness, I generally keep my mouth shut. Um, I think that's really great. And it's important that he, um, that, that he's open to having those conversations and doesn't say, Hey, you made me do this. Or you asked me to do it. Don't criticize how, or that the end product. Um, it's true. St stuff like that. I mean, this is a small example of what could be much bigger, bigger things, but stuff like that is really important to be open to feedback. That's the lesson there, I think. Um, oh, yes. That's awesome. And I think it's also all about open communication, right? Yes. Like, like he is willing to hear me say, wow, I think that that might have like burned holes in our kids' socks. Um, <laughs> and, and he, you know, and I am also open to, to having him try whatever he wants, right? Like, That's cool. he's like, okay, I'm going to try this. Yeah. So, so I think that there's a whole element of open communication because he will come to me and say, I'm thinking of making this next week. What do you think? You know? And so he, he's going to come to me because I'm not going to say, oh, this looks awful. I will say, okay, let's, let's try it. Why not? That's awesome. So, so I have to trust him to do his, his side of it. So yeah, his part in his way. Um, I think it's great. That's awesome. So I don't, I don't cook much, but I do cook sometimes and my husband cooks a lot of the time and he always goes to the grocery store and we're both professionals and we both have busy jobs. So I do think that the, um, open communication is a key ingredient to, sharing chores or, or tasks or duties, um, it's no less important than the work we do nine to five that we get paid for or what have you. 
this kind of home management, CEO, COO of the home, I'm the CEO, he's the COO, um, is, is really, especially now that we're sheltered in place, you know, it's coming to light how important it is and how, you know, I think a lot of husbands are starting to see, and a lot of wives whose husbands do all the cooking and the grocery shopping are starting to see what their other half you know, the balls in the air, the plates spinning, the, the way they manage their attention and not just their time or don't. Um, so this is shining a whole new level of light on the work that you do, the work that your husband does, both in the home and at work, now at home. Um, so that's a great story. Burning the hole in the kid's socks is the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's so crazy. So I'm from Louisiana originally. I grew up on spicy foods, but um, you know, I know Texas can kick it up a whole nother level uh, beyond Cajun food. So yeah, that's yeah, a funny but, story. But my husband can take it to a whole nother level that I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I think there's a hole in my stomach now. Um, yeah. It's all good. We, we manage, we get through it, you know. That's so funny. When, when your, your food is so hot, your kids won't make it to their next birthday. That's probably time for mom to step in. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, tell me more about your other business as well, because you're a busy woman. I am. So my my first business um, is OKCZ Strategy, and I have worked in the marketing industry for t more than 20 years. We'll just say I started young. That's, that's what we'll say. Well, you look um, like you must have been eight when you started. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> Folks, it's um, not a video interview, but I do see my guests before we log into the podcast. I was like, oh my gosh, you woke up early to put on makeup and to get all dressed up. She looks beautiful. I mean, you don't, you don't get to see this, but she does. And I'm like, you know, and she said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I just worked out. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll put pictures of your family and you so people can relate and get to know uh, what we're talking about. Tell your story visually as well. So yeah, you look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I had actually, my undergrad degree is in finance and um, I had had an internship with a marketing agency that was one of the worst experiences of my career. <laughs> And I still ended up working at that agency after undergrad um, more than anything because there was just a great opportunity. So I went down that path. I ended up getting an MBA because I wanted to never work in a marketing agency again, which as I already said, I, I, I already did that. Like I, I went back and I worked in the marketing agency industry again. And I had a, a side, we'll call it a side hustle because that's the common term. But I had the side gig when I walked out of my MBA, because even though I was starting in a job, I had a client come to me and say, hey, can you do this project for me? And I said, you realize I have a job. And he's like, that's great. And I'm really excited for you. Go you. Can you just go ahead and work on this project for me, though? And it was a great opportunity. I have actually done several projects for that same client. Um, but that awesome. kind of opened the door. Yeah. And, and it opened the door. And again, it was, there was an opportunity. I looked at the opportunity and I said, okay, why not? And, um, and sometimes you really need to know when to say yes. You know, we, we spend a lot of time saying no, right? Like protecting our time and, and making sure that we're able to have the space to do all of the things that, that become available to us. But 
I don't think we spend enough time talking about like, when do you say yes? Like, what are the things you say yes to? And so I said yes to that opportunity and it became this side business. Now, hey, I will tell let me you, ask you, how did your um, full-time employer feel about that? So I had a very interesting conversation with my full-time employer because when I was walking out of the MBA program, I had a pretty good idea of what I was worth. You get a lot of information on how much does an average MBA make? What does a signing bonus look like? Like you get a lot of information out of a career service office as you're leaving an MBA program. And when I went to go work for, I was working for an engineering company as I walked out of school. Um, I knew what I was worth and they weren't able to pay me enough money. And I was interested in the role because um, it was a, a different industry than I had worked in in the past. And so it was going to give me a different set of skills. It was in Austin, which in 2004, when I was finishing up my MBA, it was actually really hard to stay here. The, the boom here in Austin had not happened yet. And it was a very, it was a job that was very balance friendly. Like on a bad week, I worked like 45 hours. Wow. So I looked at that and I said, okay, you can't pay me enough. So I'm, I'm going to have a side job. Like I'm going to do something on the side and I need you to give me the flexibility to let me do that. You can't pay me enough, but right. I know that I can make more Good negotiating money. negotiating tactic though. I mean, if they want to keep you, right? Well, and that was the thing. I brought a very specific skill set that they were lacking. And I knew that, you know, they, they were trying to create best practices on their team. They did not have somebody to do that. They had interviewed many people for this role. And so I said, okay, I understand your limitations. But you're going to have to give me a little bit of flexibility so that we can overcome those limitations. And I never, you know, I never abused that. You know, they, I definitely had the flexibility of like, if I wanted to take a longer lunch or if I needed to work for, if I had to travel for one of my own clients, I could have worked from home, you know, but I never abused that. It wasn't like I took three hour lunches Monday through Friday, right? Like it was, it was very rare. I gave 110% at the office. So I never abused that privilege. And then when I went back to the marketing agency a little more than a year later, I, had the same conversation because again, I'd kind of capped what they were able to pay me at the level that I was coming in at. And so I said, okay, well, I have a side gig. I'd like to continue to do that. And they said, the one requirement is it cannot compete with any of our current pieces of business, which was totally reasonable. So it wasn't like, I can't believe they just requested like, you know, totally I have reasonable. made that ask before when I was um, in the corporate world and still doing so I've had this business that I do not the podcast. This is what I do for giving. But the work that I have done that's similar to your world. Um, I've been doing it since 2010, I believe. But I have been told no. So I want to learn your gift of negotiation or whatever it is, the magic words that you said. Um, so I, I've, I've gone on and off with it because certain places would and would not let me uh, engage. Well, and I think, in, at least in my situation, it was creating a win-win. Um, now, I will be honest and saying that I, I was working, when I went back to the agency, I was working for someone who I had worked for previously in New York. 
So she knew my work ethic. She knew my work product. Like she knew that I was again, going to give 110%. She also, I had been interviewing with this agency for months at that point. And I had interviewed with every, with pretty much anyone that you could have imagined that I would have needed to touch in this role. And they had said like, this is the person we want to take on this, nice. this position. And then I put in the, the whole, okay, so you want to pay me this, this is what I should be making. And again, I had all of the information, right? right because I, right. I, I think that that is one of those things that a lot of times we don't necessarily have. Um, but the internet, armed. Now, I was, I was armed like with all <laughs> kinds of data points. and. The other thing is that I, um, again, it's making it the win-win, right? Right. So I have all the skills that you're looking for. I can round out your team and here's what I need in return, essentially, right? So I'm not going to work with any any kind of competitor. I I think it's also within the, the marketing industry, it's pretty acceptable to have a side gig. Like that's not an unusual thing. Yeah, Um, yeah. I think it, it other industries I, I think might not be the so same. not I think for me, but I know that in my situation these were uh never before um I didn't know these people, they didn't know me, it was a new opportunity and they said no, you could not do what you did on the side in order to you know. So for you having those existing relationships where they knew and trusted you, knew your work ethic, knew that you could keep those plates spinning, that's a positive. Um, but what I love, the lesson from this is, is listeners, you should make the ask, get ready back, you know, have your compelling story ready, backed by data and your um, reputation precede you, you know, start PR and marketing yourself before you even uh, schedule the interview. And yeah, the, what you did so beautifully, Suzanne. Well, and I think it really speaks to the need for especially women to network, you know, and I get paid more. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I, I heard um, a, a really interesting quote um, when I was attending a panel and this woman who is a, a senior level person in a venture capital firm, which, you know, gives out money. She said, people give money to people who they know. That is a good point. Right? That is and so having an existing relationship with somebody who became my manager, that, or became my manager again, I should say, that was already like a spoke on my network, right? And so I think that that is, is very much the situation, whether you work for a, a, a large company or whether you're an entrepreneur who's looking for funding, and so, so often we kind of continue to build on our existing network, but we don't shoot a spoke out in a very different way. And, you know, so we just kind of continue to, it's almost like we continue to build rings around Nurturing. what we already yeah. know, but we don't try to go out and create a whole new ring. Like right. that's not necessarily how most of us do it. And so I think that that speaks to the need to find how you can create these new kinds of, of links, especially as if you're trying to, to go into a new kind of industry, right? Like oh, people definitely. have those, those chances. That's even, yeah, it's even more critical, I think. And, and I don't think that, 
that women especially do that enough. Like even, although it's so interesting because I think that women are really good at it. So there's a whole different style. There's a whole different willingness to, oh, well, let me introduce you to one of my friends. Let me introduce you to my neighbor. But we don't necessarily talk to people that way. That is true. That is true. And, you know, I, well, I think you're probably an exception. I know I'm an exception. I make it a point to make warm email introductions, to use yes. Facebook and LinkedIn Messenger and message, uh, to make warm introductions, to paint the picture, like tell the compelling story. I don't just say, uh, Suzanne, meet, you know, Carol. I'll say, Suzanne, I know Carol and Carol does this. And because you do that, I think the two of you would have a remarkable conversation of, you know, exploratory conversation. And, and I sort yes. of connect the dots for them to make it easy for them to say, yes, let's schedule a call or what have you. Um, not just Suzanne, meet Carol, Carol, meet Suzanne. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to have to make the people who you're introducing. Work. Yeah, exactly. You don't want them to have to figure out like, why is this introduction? Happening? Right. Like, you want to be able to connect those dots and set that stage because then the conversation is easy to pick up. Hey, I, I've, you know, Susan, I've looked at the things that you're working on and I think we'd have a great conversation. You know, like it, yeah. it's much easier for the next step to happen instead of. And go not everybody is that innovative or creative or, you know, because you know something the other person doesn't know, you need to go ahead and just connect that dot for them. Don't, don't leave the, it up to them to figure it out and have to go research this person and say, why in the world would Susan introduce me to this woman, Carol? Um, I make it easy for you to see the light, you know? So yeah, I agree. You're probably amazing at that. You know, I, I'm super curious about people. And so I love to know those little nuggets and to be able to make the connections in my own head of, oh, this person should meet that person. And you're an idea and, generator. Yeah, I, I, I would like to think I am. Um, but I also, I love being a connector, right? Yeah. Like, like seeing the, the, the way that people are able to connect and then move on to the next thing, I find fascinating because you never know how those two people can turn around and create just something new and interesting and exciting and I mean, you just never know. I love it. I love it. Well, tell us about, I know that you have two businesses. Is there anything else more you want to speak on each? I want to uh, move into your proudest accomplishment, which I don't know that you have just one, and I don't know that you're done yet. So that might be a silly question. But tell us um, more about your businesses if you wish, and then if you would transition to your proudest professional accomplishment. So. So many people ask, how do you put all of these things together, right? That's, that is the question I get most often. And the, the way that I keep it all together, I joke and I say it's like time Tetris. But it's, it really is about, um, about planning. You know, I, I take my week. I, on Sunday, I plan my week. 
Um, and, and then I actually kind of set my goals. What's my strategy for each day? I mean, it only takes like 15 or 20 minutes, but that way I know like, what am I working on this week? Oh, I have an interview on Monday. Okay. That's going to take up this much time. I have a conference I'm going to on Thursday, you know, so that way you can kind of see how you need to move things around in your week. And then each night I plan for the next day. So that way I don't have to wake up and then create the plan. I know the plan when I wake up, like it's already kind of set. And that way I can look at what's going on in the two businesses. What client work do I have? What, what um, weekly blog do I need to write? Like, I know all of those things and I can create a plan. I know my goals. I know my priorities. And so when, not if, but when something comes up and you need to change things around because something always comes up, I can quickly reprioritize, right? You leave wiggle room for that. I think I probably need to be better on the wiggle room, but I leave some room. But nowadays I'm also comparing with my husband since we're both working from home yeah. and, and we are able to see, okay, so your Wednesday is completely full. So let me not make my Wednesday crazy full so that I have more wiggle room to take care of anything related to our two boys because we have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, busy people. Very busy people. Suzanne? I lost you for a second there. Yeah, that's weird. So I hear you now. And I had said busy people, very busy people with kids that young. You know, and, and I think that that planning thing really can make a difference when you have a lot of moving parts. Um, and being able to compare with my husband is, I mean, we kind of did that, but we do it in a more structured way now. And we have for several weeks now. But I think that's really kind of what helps me manage the, the, the two businesses and being a mom. Should we give a shout out to your husband for being, um, you know, a good partner and engaging in open communications and being flexible with his calendar too? You know, I, I looked for a spouse who was going to be <laughs> my partner. I, you know, I joke, but I really did. And, um, and, and I totally recognize that I lucked out because I do have a spouse who is willing to be supportive. Um, and he has been at the, at his employer for a really long time. And so he does have some flexibility, but that said, those things wouldn't happen unless I asked. That is true. That is you know, true. My, I get it. My husband would not turn around and say, Hey, I'm noticing that you might need a little bit more time. <laughs> Should I take on the cooking? Like that never would have happened yeah. unless I went to him and said, here's the deal. I am maxed out. I need more time in my schedule. I need you to take something else on. And so and I think it's men, both sides. I, I think men, that, so I teach how, how men and women communicate differently. That's what I do for a living. And I think men would say, you need to come tell me because I can't read your mind. So I think that what you did is perfectly appropriate and acceptable and not a shocker that he would come to you and say, I noticed that fill in the blank because that just never happens. Nope, would not be a reality. And then I would be disappointed because it's like, I'm drowning. How did you not come? Like, why didn't you step in? You know, he, he's like, okay. You know, you know, I have to say something here. Have you ever seen Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn in that movie, The Breakup? Yes. 
Okay, there's a scene in there that just cracks me up. It's so perfect for gender-based comms where he's, she says, um, he says, well, I'll do the dishes. She says, I don't want you to do the dishes. And he says, but I thought you wanted me to do the dishes. And she says, I want you to want to do the dishes, but I don't actually want you to actually do the dishes. <laughs> he's like, I can't read your mind. It's so true. And, and yes. I think that that, I mean, people say, well, you're so lucky. And it's like, yes, I definitely lucked out. And I will gladly admit that. Like my husband is incredibly supportive in so many ways. He also wouldn't know to be supportive without my saying something, right? Like, <laughs> like I, he has what I, I say, he has mad skills, but his mind reading skills are pretty horrible. I mean, they're really bad. Said every, per, you know, person ever about their partner, spouse, husband, whatever. Um, and I think that in, like, for example, I've, my husband is, um, uh, let's see, he's 59, I'm 53. I think over the years, I've stopped expecting him to read my mind. But you'd think after this many years that they would kind of know. But yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't have, nope. I don't set myself up for failure. I just... I'm open, honest, and direct. I say things with kindness, but I say them. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Such good advice. Like, really, for all of your listeners, right. that is, like, the, the key takeaway is that just open, honest, kind communication can, I mean, it really, it can make wonders happen. Yeah. But that's at home. That's also in the workplace. You bet. You bet. And, so and for those who are not open to receiving that kind of communication, you need to look inside yourself and ask why, because feedback, whether positive or negative, is a sign of respect. Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm, I'm full of them. <laughs> I got a lot of those where, <laughs> where I come from. Having This is what I do for a living. I teach this stuff, the gendered comms. So um, if you and your husband ever need tips or tricks, you let me know. But today is all about you. So let's talk about um, who maybe has been your inspirational mentor. So I have been very fortunate to have a few mentors who have, I have had a few mentors through my career. And when I was still very young in my career, I had um, an executive vice president who was the, the lead for the team that I was on. She, um, she pulled me aside for you know, one of the typical one-to-one -one, um, meetings that, I don't know, happened every few weeks. And she said to me, she had some really good nuggets. And she talked about how there's, you know, there's like a three-legged table and it's, it's work and it's your significant other and it's your family. She's like, those, those three things don't, they need to kind of work together. She was very honest about that in, in this industry that's cutthroat where, you know, people were working all kinds of hours, like it was ridiculous. And she's like, you need those things to work together or your table will fall. Like they're just, they're going to fall. Um, and then the other thing that she said, and it was very much off the record, she said, you need to go back and you need to get your MBA. And I, I was very surprised because that's not generally what the lead on your piece of business would say to you. Right. Um, and she said, I can't say that on the record because that's a big no-no, but I'm going to tell you this right now. You don't belong here. Um, and she didn't mean that in a negative way. Right. She just said, your, your brain just works in a way that um, is not normal for this industry. 
and you need to go back and you need to hone those skills and then you're going to do something different. I think she's looking so, to you to find your highest and best self. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I had never really thought about getting my MBA. Now, granted, I was very young in my career. I think I was probably like 24 when I had this conversation and she didn't, she didn't mean it in a, in a nasty way. She was just like, you're, you have skills that go beyond your teammate skills and you need to, to really kind of Honor take those to the next level. You know, like yeah. you, you need to be able to, to, to do things in a slightly different way. And I see what you're really good at. And yes, you can stay here and you'll be very successful, but you need to go and do something else. Like you, you have a skill set that needs to be applied in a different way. How were you at receiving? How were you at receiving that? uh, It, you know, it totally opened my eyes to just, oh, there's, okay. I need to look at other things. And that seed that she planted, I did go back and get my MBA. You know, and, and you have to get a certain amount of, of experience. Um, the average, uh, a good MBA program really kind of wants you to have about five years of experience when you go back. And so I had about five years. So that was one seed. And then when I um, was finishing, uh, not finishing up, what am I saying? When I went back to the agency side after I had finished my MBA, I worked very closely with um, the COO who became the CEO of the agency that I was working for. Nice. And um, I, you know, I went back into the agency world, but I did very unusual things. Like none of the stuff that I did was something that really existed in a normal agency. So I got to do really cool stuff that people would approach me and say, how did, you know, I want to learn your career path. I'm like, here's the deal. This doesn't exist in other places. So you're going to have to create that career path. Um, which is essentially what I did. You are innovative and I feel like people who have, um, never made an error have never been innovative. You know what I'm saying? Like testing the waters, trying something new. Um, I love that. That's amazing. it, It also comes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's knowing when to say yes. And so that, that other CEO that I worked closely with, he allowed me to say yes. You know, I had a manager who is also to this day, still one of my mentors who was at that large company. And I went to him and I said, I have these skills and I want to explore them. And, and that CEO and that senior manager, you know, they, they kind of looked to each other and said, okay, so what is, what exactly does she want to do with this? And so I didn't exactly get to write my job description, but I kind of got to write my job description. You know, like I I got to really describe like, what are the things that I want to be working on? What are the skills that I want to grow? And, and they were open to that. That's awesome. That's awesome. But it's in some ways, even in a large company, because I was at a large company, it's being able to have those key relationships and those key conversations where you say, I'm going to work my tail end off at this job. I would love the chance to, to start to explore a little bit of this right here. You know, can, can we find projects or are there opportunities where I can do that? I think that's great advice. Let's take note listeners of what she just said. I mean, it's the onus is on you to also set your, um, 
superiors or your bosses or your supervisors or whatever, your managers, the C-suite, to set their expectations of what you expect out of this position or your role in the company or your future um, so that they can help you gain it. Or if it's just not possible, they can tell you their explanation as to why. But that's a nugget right there. You, you have to not just do as you're told, but you have to tell others what you want to do. And, and I think we can be very intimidated by that, you know, but, but when you know your value and you know the things that you're curious about, why not? Yeah, I've been the why not woman all my life, but the women I work with, that's a rare, rare, rare thing. That whole, um, um, you know, fear of owning your story and sharing it with the world is real. I mean, most women don't negotiate on their own behalves. They don't. Uh, step up and speak to their skill set, not just what they have done, but what they can do. Um, so yeah, this is this is a very powerful conversation you have with these people, and you have to have muster a lot of. Maybe at twenty four, we don't all have that the things that you need, you know. Um, and then those of us who are fifty three, some of us, not this woman, but a lot of my network suffers the imposter syndrome still, and that's a big deal. So, you know, quite courageous I, of you. I, I will say, though, that so much of it was when opportunities came up, I was willing to raise my hand, right? So I remember being 23 or 24 and at, at one of the first really big companies that I worked for, and HR had sent out an email and said, I need somebody who's at this level, which was the level that I was at who can talk to um, college students who are coming here for a field trip, right? And I said, well, how hard can that be? I mean, I'm just gonna talk about my day. It's a bunch of college students. It's not like these are my clients and I'm up in front of this room with the most intimidating, like, I'm like, okay, I mean, I could do that. Like, what's the big deal? And eventually, not as my main job, but. I did recruiting work for that agency. So like I got to go to top um, communications programs and recruit, like speak on behalf of the agency that I worked for. And then eventually when she moved to another company, she actually hired me to be an MBA recruiter. Nice. Right? Very nice. See, those are the relationships that you want to try to build. Yeah. Uh, and but it to was maintain. It was also finding a little way that was not too intimidating. You know, that, that initial step of raising my hand and starting that, that connection. I mean, she was the head of HR. I could have just been like, delete. Why would the head of HR want to talk to me? But I read her email and I'm like, how hard can that really be? I mean, it's okay. 20 students who were well, sitting there asking about like, what does your day look like? Like I should be right. able to talk about that. So this woman lifted you up. She saw something in you that maybe at the time you didn't yet see in yourself. So that's pretty awesome. In that vein, how would you advise other women to support women in business? It doesn't have to be a grand scheme. It can be a day-to-day -day tip or something easy to do. But how do you recommend we do that? So as a woman who is looking to give back, kind of in, in, a, in, a, in the, the biggest way that you can do it is to be able to be a sponsor where you actually open the door for a woman who is behind you essentially, right? So that's, that's like, I think the greatest um, gesture. And then there's mentorship where you can really be a guide 
and they are different. You know, sponsorship is more action oriented and mentorship is more about being the guide and being a sounding board. But I think even on a day-to-day -day basis, to be able to shine a light on what people are doing well, um, and especially now when we're not necessarily physically in a place where people are seeing the same thing that somebody else is seeing, to be able to give a shout out to another woman on your team and say, hey, you know, Susan handled this with our clients incredibly well, and I just want to give some kudos to her. It's a very awesome. small thing, really small, but it's going to make you feel more empowered. It's, it's also going to make you feel more loyal <laughs> right. um, to whoever is doing the shout out. But I think that also shows I'm not concerned about opening and putting that spotlight on another woman, right? Like that's also empowering to you at the same time. So. I think it feels really good to lift others as we rise. And I think that a secure woman, no matter her age, will do that. And I find that this whole insecure, competitive, mean girl crap is just so passe, you know? So I really do appreciate what you just said. It's important that we support one another. When you help one woman, you help all women. I love that. And it's so true. It is true. Um, let me ask you this. It's not always been um, easy or a bed of roses is what I usually say. Um, tell us your biggest challenge or setback, if you're willing, and how you overcame it. So I was laid off from the last large company that I worked for. Um, I was laid off uh, in an industry when you need to be billable, you need to be generating income over um, six and a half years, I think I generated like a month's worth of income. <laughs> I was not an income generator. That was not my job. But I got laid off when they, um, they needed to cut more non-billable people, right? And it right. was totally a business decision. I continue to have great relationships with senior leaders who are at that company. But what was so interesting about that is you know, I could have looked at that as like a blow and I could have said, I failed. Like, that's it. I just, I failed. And I looked at it as I probably needed to have moved on. I had all of these hints that like I needed to, to leave that, that role and I needed to move into something else. And I wasn't really paying attention. And so I feel like the universe said, here's the deal. I've given you a thousand hints and you're not paying attention. So I'm gonna give you a really big shove and now you're gonna listen. And, and you did, I, right? I did. I mean, I definitely had, I, you know, I had my moment of like a pity party. So it's not like I went from A to B. I mean, I definitely had a little bit of a pity party and I was like, I can't believe that. And, you know, and my husband was like, you know that this is like, you've been getting this hint for a while. You just chose not to listen. And I had already been doing my side gig and I said, okay, this is the time for me to make myself a hundred percent entrepreneur. Like this is what I need to be working towards. That was the universe telling you it was time. Yeah. But, but it is hard. I mean, there is, when you are a very type A person who, who does their job well, there is a side of you that is, um, that your story is wrapped in like what it is that you do, right? Which is, 
you know, when you grow out of that, that's spiritual growth. When you realize you're not the label, the title, the pay grade, the house, the car, that you are who you are from the inside out, which is a lot of entrepreneurial spirit right there. But I would never have thought that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Having a side gig was having a side gig. You know, I was a yeah. corporate girl. Um, and it is interesting because I'm comfortable in the corporate world and I'm comfortable in the entrepreneurial world. And I'm okay with that being the case, right? But I think that it really, I, I had to turn things around in order to say, okay, it's time for me to embrace the entrepreneur opportunity that I have here. Um, and I could have looked at it and I could have been very upset for months and months and months. But I took my time. I had my pity party. I, I, I felt all the feels, right? The, the sadness, the anger, the, well, I'll show them, you know, like all of those things, right? Because those are important. You, you need to get to where you need to get to. Um, but I didn't want to sit in sorrow. I wanted to sit in what am I going to do now? Like, what is this thing that, it, that I am going to create? Um, and, and that's kind of how I moved it around. But well, now, now you sit in victory. So that is, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't be where you are had you not gone through that as well. Um, let me ask you this, because we are coming to the close of the show. I always like to, unless it makes you uncomfortable, um, but if you're, if you're comfortable sharing something that no one knows about you or a surprising fact about you, we would love that. So I, people know that I like to travel. Um, I definitely share that on social media, but most people don't know that I have, I traveled to 40 countries before I turned 40. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That's very incredible. So Amazing. that was one of my goals. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get to 50 by 50. <laughs> not with this uh, quarantine in place. <laughs> no. And we were, we had a ton of travel um, that, that uh, was going to happen this summer. So I don't think I'm going to get to 50 by 50, but that was originally my goal. But um, well, you'll have some catching up to do. I, we, I do. And my boys are great travelers. So um, um, I am thankful that my husband and I are like, okay, where are we going to adventure? And our boys are like, ah, a new adventure. I um, love that. You know, that's the best way to combat bigotry is to learn how the rest of the world lives. And I think it, you know, global worldview is such a, a gift you give yourself and travel is how you do that. So I love that. I love that. So I, I love travel too. You're preaching to the choir in that one. The benefits of travel are great. Even when it's a struggle, sometimes we have mishaps, you know, missed planes or, you know, the hotel room isn't at all like it looked on the website. Um, those are all good lessons right there waiting to be learned. So go out and grab the world and grab the universe and travel and travel. Um, curiosity is the most powerful tool in our toolkit against any kind of um, parochial mindset. So I love that you said that. That's great. You know, Suzanne, Susan, I, I will leave you with one quote related to good. that, which I, I, I had, somebody told me this quote and I found it very powerful. Um, somebody said, curiosity and judgment don't generally live in the same person. That is beautiful. So as you show that curiosity, you show that you're not judging. And I think that that's, that 
you know, traveling as you engage with other people, like whatever it is, it's such a, a good way to think about it. Like as you just show some curiosity, like people's guard just kind of, it comes down. Like people are like, they're open to your communication, your ideas, your strategy, like whatever it is, like. Um, you know, every proposal I've ever written, I've put listen with empathy and not judgment. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Uh, be curious about the other, you know, learn from that. You can't judge someone if you're genuinely, sincerely curious about whatever the other might mean. Um, you and I are cut from the same cloth. I love this conversation. I love what you do. Um, folks, you know that I'm going to connect you with Suzanne through my blog. But, and I'll include all of her contact info and pictures in her book. But in the meantime, for those of you who are listening, if you'd like to reach Suzanne, Suzanne, how can they do that? So I have a weekly blog on mompowerment.com um, and you can find me um, on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm, I'm around. Um, I am a fan of LinkedIn and I also love Twitter. So nice. either mompowerment or OKCZ strategy. That's OKSUZI strategy. Very nice. And folks, I'll write all that down in case you didn't get to. So Suzanne, you're incredible. You're wonderful. It's delightful having this conversation. I know we'll stay connected. Uh, I look forward to getting all of your uh, materials so that I can create this blog. I'll put it out within 48 hours, folks. So you can go to my website, learn more about Suzanne, connect with her on LinkedIn, and visit Mompowerment. See all the great things and re good resources she has in her blog. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. We could, I bet we could talk for a few hours. So Absolutely. I can't wait in for the fact, next conversation. <laughs> it's so funny because I looked at the clock only because I have another appointment and I was like, oh no, I don't want to cut her off. She's so awesome. But I have to, but we will pick this up at some point and I cannot wait to write about you. You're a fascinating woman and you've done so much and what a great wife and great mom and great businesswoman you are. Thank you, Susan. I say, I feel the same way about you. Oh, thank you. Well, everybody have a great day. Tune in tomorrow and look for that blog about Suzanne within 48 hours. Bye-bye.